Hey, just a quick note before we kick this episode off. We actually had to re-record one segment of it. Yeah, the uh, beginning of the episode is actually recorded after <laughs> the second part of the episode. But uh, we managed to put it all together, especially with the help of our great producer, Noel. And uh, we just wanted to let you know there might be some contextual stuff that seems a little weird because of the time frame. But uh, when we talk about the stigmatic Padre Pio... There uh, is some stuff that was said before and then after, and it, it, it makes sense, though. We've listened to it and feel pretty good about it. Yeah, so you should be able to roll with it, but just in case there are any questions, uh, that's what's up. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. Hey, I'm Christian Sager. And this is uh, part two of our exploration of the stigmata. Part one uh, dealt primarily with patient zero for the stigmata, St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah, as we talked about in the first episode, he is primarily recognized as as the stigmatic of history. But today we're going to talk about just stigmata beyond St. Francis, sort of the pop culture that we've seen uh, stigmata take place in, but also some more explanations that are somewhat scientific for what what's possibly going on here. Why are there so many people who are bleeding from these very specific areas? Yeah, the first uh, episode dealt you know, more directly with just the, the religious idea, the supernatural idea of these wounds of Christ uh, manifesting in the flesh, and then the historical um, as well as uh, biological aspects, trying to figure out what disease Francis might have suffered from. And this is going to go in a more... Um, psychological direction. Right. There's other explanations beyond pathogens, uh, viruses, bacteria, whatever, that could potentially cause this for somebody. So somebody really thinks that they've been bestowed the wounds of Christ on their body. But before we get into the the psychology of of the matter, uh, let's discuss some of the pop culture uh, aspects here, because we we didn't even have time to to mention any of them in the previous episode. Yeah. So uh, the big one that I always think of is that movie Stigmata with Ah. Gabriel Byrne and uh, I always forget her name. Um, Rosanna Arquette? uh, It's the sister. Patricia Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Yeah, um, she's a stigmatic. And contrary to a, a lot of the, the history of stigmatics, in that movie it's, uh, portrayed as being like a, like a bad omen. Like it's huh. somehow, I can't remember, it, it's been a long time, but, uh, somehow her being a stigmatic is like, uh, going to open a gateway for Satan to come to the material plane or something like that. Gabriel Byrne is like an occult investigator for the Catholic Church. And his, I think his job is to go around the world and investigate uh, mystical uh, occurrences like stigmata. I think he also, like, maybe at one point uh, finds, like, a statue of Christ that's bleeding. Um, <laughs> but his job is to go and investigate the Patricia Arquette incident. It's so weird that they would cast it as this demonic uh, yeah. entry device rather than uh, exploring it more as... Where, uh, yeah, uh, whereas in every other instance in in history, it's it's been uh, seen as a holy thing. Well, most instances. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you would just have your uh, protagonist suffer from the stigmata right. and then battle your demonic characters. And I don't know, maybe that's where the, the film ends up landing anyway. But it's, yeah, it's hard for me to remember, but I did, before we recorded this, go and, and watch the trailer again on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, there is a moment where uh, they're surprised that she's not devout 
about uh, of faith. Hmm. That I think like they're on a train in New York City or something like that, and Gabriel Byrne's shocked when he finds out that she she's like an atheist or something like that. Huh. Uh, well, you know, I have a hard time remembering exactly where I encountered the stigmata for the first time in fiction or otherwise, because mm-hmm. I certainly didn't grow up Catholic, but uh, I must have. Uh, Ran across it somewhere. I'm sure it's one of those things that's used as a trope throughout horror mm-hmm. literature and movies without even actually being referred to as stigmata. In a lot of situations, it's the idea of bleeding from open sores uh, spontaneously or from your eyes. But the one that I remember is the, um, I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's a X-Files episode where uh, Mulder and Scully are chasing after a serial killer who's killing fake stigmatics or like... Um, sort of like tent revivalist preachers uh-huh. and they fake stigmata with ketchup packets, I think. And, um, that the serial killer is going around the country killing them until he finds an actual stigmatic. Oh, uh, and then he's thrown for a curveball. Exactly. And so are they because uh-huh. they switch roles. Mulder's the one who doesn't believe in it. And Scully does because she has the religious background. Now is the killer in this? Is, is he himself a stigmatic? He's not. It's very, it's very strange. If, from what I remember, I think he owns like a, a factory, some kind of tire or car factory or something <laughs> like that. And he he goes on a. Their explanation is like that he goes on a trip to the Middle East and he comes back and all of a sudden he's just like, basically possessed huh. uh, with with the 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 need to kill stigmatics. All right, so a little Jerusalem syndrome in there, yeah. and a little just blue-collar <clears throat> guy going off the deep end. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Huh. You know, Now, I do remember, uh, as a fairly young reader, reading Philip K. Dick's The Four Stigmata of Palmer Eldrick, or okay. Three Stigmata. I can't remember how many stigmata are referenced in the title of the yeah. book, but it's a fantastic novel in which you have this kind of... Uh, pan-alien figure uh, who has died but then manifests in a sort of stigmata. It's not a literal stigmata, but very uh-huh. much employing the idea of a, of a, of a stigmata. Oh, I don't. I've, I haven't read this one. Mm-hmm. I, I love Philip K. Dick's work. Is this from around that period of time when he was uh, writing sort of those transcendental sci-fi books like Valis? Stuff yeah, like I that? think this one is from t- the towards the end of his timeline, and it's very psychedelic in places. It's it's, okay. it's pretty out there. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's been a while since I've read it, so I'm a little foggy on the details. But I remember it as being like a really really strong read. And of uh, course, there's the the ministry song stigmata, which oh, uh, album is this? I, I want to say it's. Um, the mind is a terrible thing to taste. Mm. I might be wrong, but I remember there's a video that's very 1990s kind of video, oh, black you, and white. You industrial. know, I did run across this song. That's the very song recently on um, like an industrial playlist on Spotify. Oh, yeah. I had a bunch of yeah. tunes. And I'm not as familiar with that particular ministry album. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it, go check that out on YouTube. I have no idea what it has to do with <laughs> Stigmata or or what we've been talking about regarding the history. Or <laughs> I'm sure it's a deep, thoughtful uh, consideration. Yeah, Al Jorgensen's stigmata. known yeah. for his insights. <laughs> All right, so moving out of uh, pop culture and into just sort of the, the psychological aspects here. Uh, now, obviously, there are a number of reasons one might uh, uh, inflict this kind of uh, self-harm. You know, you have hysteria, various central nervous system disorders. Um, just uh, there, there are a number of reasons that a partially unhinged mind might uh, turn to mutilation. Right. And, and so from reading the, the research about hi- stigmatics throughout history, 
post uh, St. Francis, a lot of cases they're associated with something that's referred to as holy anorexia, mm-hmm. which is this idea that um, there were young women who were strongly active in the church and devout in their belief. Uh, and they were subsequently seen as female saints, but when we retroactively look back on their cases, uh, the diagnosis seems to be anorexia nervosa, that they were purposely uh, starving themselves, not eating anything except for the um, Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this kind of uh, treatment of their body through dietary restrictions sometimes led to self-mutilation. Yeah, a number of these uh, cases of stigmata may result from uh, self-mutilation occurring during de- what's called dietary constriction-related disassociation. Okay. So as a result, you have artificial dietary constriction that's resulting in an indifference to the kind of harm that you're you're inflicting upon yourself. And uh, you know, a variety of data links dramatic dietary constriction um, uh to uh, to reduce uh, serotonin functioning, altered states of consciousness, and uh, self-injurious behavior. So let's see if we can trace this here. So the behavior starts off as a dietary restriction, right? Basically, uh, starving yourself, and that leads to a dissociative state that one could construe as being transcendent, right? That you've you've uh, you've you've the hunger has brought you to uh, a place of being one with God. Yeah, and I should probably, you know, drive home a little bit about what a disassociative experience consists of, because a disassociative experience can range from mild detachment from immediate surroundings to severe detachment from not only physical but emotional experience. So, like a full-blown detachment from reality, talking mm-hmm. to spirits, you know, venturing into the astral plane, kind of thing. Okay. Amnesia, disassociated fugue states, where you, you know you don't remember what you did or what happened, and you weren't quite in your mind when you were doing it. But also on the like the the low end of the spectrum, just daydreaming while you're driving to work is essentially low level disassociative state, and you know a coping method for boredom, but still an altered, a very mild altered state of consciousness. Okay, so the extreme end version of this, I think the logical argument that that was made in the research was that these transcendent states would lead to self-mutilation in yeah. some cases, which displayed a stigmata. And then the the um, the, the patient, I guess, was, would be how you would refer to it, in this case, uh, wouldn't remember doing it to themselves because of the state that they were in. So they would, of course, assume that it had been bestowed upon them in some deific manner. Yeah, yeah. They would either have an altered memory of what happened or they would, they would have no memory of what had happened that had caused these, you know, again, mild uh, discolorations in the palm or mm-hmm. just full-on, you know, wounds. Yeah, and, and so... There, there's evidence in the research too that talks about how you know a lot of these cases were in the Middle Ages, uh, and for women at that time, it was one of the few ways that they could administer control over their lives mm-hmm. because of the you know the, the general misogyny in the culture of the time. So they were able to uh, by 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 not eating and by you know achieving these transcendent states and, and whatever happened beyond that sort of. Uh, lift themselves up into a position where that they they, they gained empowerment somehow. Yeah. You know, they had a voice to speak from, or rather, a platform to speak from, uh, where they could, you know, have some kind of authority where they normally wouldn't. Yeah, and ultimately also engaging in just this mystical experience that results in like 
physical evidence of the mm-hmm. divine, or at least, or at least physical evidence of their their own uh, connection to the divine. Hmm. So it, it's curious. I, I, I think now about like uh, some of the more modern cases that I read about, like uh, Padre Pio. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this guy who's active right now. Named I'm going to butcher this name. I believe his name is Zlatko Sudec. Um, and both of them, you know, uh, Padre Pio died in the '60s, but Zlatko's Sudech is around now, and um, both of them display stigmata. There's photographic evidence of it. Um, I would assume in uh, Sudech's case, you could probably even watch YouTube videos of him uh, proselytizing. Hmm. But they, uh, I don't get the impression that they're suffering from the dietary constriction version. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, one, another thing that was common about uh, these cases and, and in both those guys' cases, too, is that they, they claim that they had other things going on, other mystical experiences going on beyond the stigmata. Um, in Padre Pio's case, people said that his stigmata smelled like perfume. Like when he was bleeding, the room would fill with the smell of flowers. Well, that that sounds actually oddly suspicious. <laughs> like, and it was so weird; it didn't smell like blood at all. It right. smelled like ketchup. I don't know what was going on. It's just a miracle. Yeah, yeah. Or how about this one? He has. He, both these guys claim that they have the ability to bilocate. Uh, so that means that they can be in two places at the same time. Hmm. Well, that's that's interesting as well. Trying to figure out exactly. How that would work. I mean, certainly in a disassociative state, you could have that kind of experience where you feel like you're in two places at once. Yeah. Yeah. And then there, there's other people who've claimed, you know, as such with exorcisms, they Mm -hmm. claim that they've seen stigmatics levitate as well. Hmm. Well, of course, there are, there are a whole host of reasons one might have some sort of hallucinatory experience, Mm. uh, that, that could involve either of those sensations. So, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But there's, there's a lot going on with stigmatics throughout history, uh, Beyond the the sort of uh, I, I guess case study that Saint Francis uh, supplied. To come back to uh, fasting for just uh, a moment, I do want to link that you know outside of uh, uh, observations and accounts of uh, religious experience of pain uh, and, uh, and and fasting, we we see plenty of links between starvation and self mutilation elsewhere, uh, particularly among Allied prisoners of war in uh, the Second World War, uh, Japanese POW camps uh, in the Netherlands during uh, during famine uh, times during the Second World War, uh, and among anorexic individuals. And I have a great uh, I have a great quote here from UCLA anthropologist Daniel M. T. Fessler, uh, who uh, says that the stigmata provides quote a ready meaning system that likely shapes the experiences, actions, and accounts of devout Catholics having a psychological predisposition to dietary constriction and attendant disassociation and self mutilation. Mm. So yeah, th- that system of meaning comes back again. Mm-hmm. It, it it definitely makes me think about issues of identity. Um, and it almost in a sort of, uh, huh, like systematic way of, 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 you know, recalculating who you are as an individual, your role in the world, yeah, and which is all- something all of us go through. It's very existential, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? And we're informed by the stories in our lives, by the, the images in our lives. And certainly mm-hmm. individuals who are experiencing the stigmata, they're looking to the art, right? They're looking to the accounts. Yeah. And so that's why you see, uh, the, the nail in the palm. Uh, which is in a, uh, which is in keeping with the artistic traditions and the storytelling tradition, as opposed to the wrist, 
which is uh, where the nail would have actually gone, according to most historians. Yeah, that's the interesting part, right? Mm-hmm. Is that and not a whole lot of people call stigmatics out on that, but exactly that the wounds almost always appear in the palm rather than the wrists. Um, my only guess is that, like, if you were uh, self-mutilating and, and and you went for the wrists, that there would be a higher likelihood of dying from that. And my yeah. understanding, especially from reading the literature comparing self-cutters to uh, stigmatics, was that, you know, obviously the intent is not suicide. The intent is not to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wouldn't want to do something like that. But that... Uh, that's the only connection I can make. Yeah, I think it's just the the iconography, you know. I mean, yeah. it's like that's the, vi- the the vision of Christ that uh, we're bombarded with is, uh, mm. is that of the Christ with the, the that artistic the one. Yeah. yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, which gets back to the whole idea that the art itself was was uh, some kind of iconographic uh, thing that supplanted the actual Jesus Christ. You know, there there were ideas that the art had holy power to it uh, and that it it in its own way was converting people huh it's like almost like you're brainwashed from staring at this image too too long in the same way that you could say don't watch that horror movie you're watching too many horror movies potentially it's gonna gonna crazy your mind up but for yeah from what i understood from the reading that there were leaders within the church who were critical of some pieces of art because they saw it as basically being I mean, marketing for for mm-hmm. the religious movement, and they didn't want certain images to be associated with it because that that was how people were interpreting the religion. That's how they were understanding it. Oh yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a whole fascinating history of the, the depiction of Christ in, uh, in in the Catholic tradition, and 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 what happens when certain depictions go a little too far, mm-hmm. uh, and, and people start reining it in or even throwing the word heresy out. Yeah. For instance, the the feminine Christ that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. The three headed Christ that was possible uh, that was uh, popular at one time. Wow, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, because you're using images to to describe and tell these stories to you know often lay people and. Uh, and so you're trying to talk about the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. Uh-huh. So you depict a, a Christ that has three faces. Oh, okay. Yeah, essentially right. making a monster Christ. Weird. As it a makes teaching. me think of oh. uh, the He-Man character Manny faces. I had those little action <laughs> figure when I was I a had kid. That one too, yeah. he, he had three faces that you could spin around with like a top. Kind of like that, yeah. It's, it's wow. Kind of like if a priest. So there was a Holy that. Spirit face, a God face, and a Jesus Christ face. They all the 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 ones I looked at. They all look the same, and they're kind of merged together in this kind of weird, trippy huh. fashion. Uh, it's fabulous stuff. I think we have an image of it on How Stuff Works. I'll have to link to it. Interesting. But. I wonder how that may potentially connect to, to the other two uh, uh, individuals who were crucified at the time of Christ. Uh, that's true. I mean, yeah, you There's the good the, thief and mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. Hmm. You start throwing around three in uh, yeah. iconography yeah. and uh, you can just go nuts. Huh. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to look at some possible psychosomatic explanations for the stigmata. All right, we're back. So there is, before we get into the psychosomatic explanations for stigmata, there's one more example that I wanted to touch upon, which is, from my understanding, one of the most famous stigmatics in history outside of St. Francis was Padre Pio, mm-hmm. uh, and he lived from 1887 to 1968, was a stigmatic, uh, but there were many skeptics uh, about his 
stigmata, including two popes. So it was not recognized as being authentically divine, uh, especially because there was a point in time where it was found that he plagiarized his own writings about his stigmata from like the diary entries of a young girl from the Middle Ages who was stigmatic. So there was a lot of questioning about his own stigmata, which leads you to wonder, too, like, we were speaking about the self-mutilation mainly in terms of people sort of doing it in transcendent sort of dissociative states. But in this guy's case, it might have been possible that he was actually wounding himself for the attention. Maybe so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And and then again, you get into especially when you start comparing it to plagiarism, you mm-hmm. get into that whole weird area of like, to, to what extent was it conscious and versus right. subconscious? Was it a deliberate act? Was it like a slippery slope uh, to, to the point where you're actually, you know, carving your, your wounds yeah. each day? Yeah. And Padre Pio, you know, like I said, he died in 1968. So we have like photographic evidence of this guy mm-hmm. with the wounds and everything. So it's, um, that's one of those cases where it's, 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 you know, it gets incredibly complicated psychologically and yeah. sort of ethically. Yeah. But let's move on to the psychosomatic explanation, because I think this is really fascinating. Yeah. In this, we're talking about uh, essentially psychosomatic illness. Uh, this is when a, a physical illness or other condition, such as stigmata, potentially, is caused or aggravated by a mental factor, such as internal conflict or high levels of stress. Mm hmm. Uh, now, the easiest to grasp examples of this, you know, without getting into like a really fringy territory, uh, examples of, uh, uh, are examples of stress-related symptoms. So, I mean, like, for me personally, I know that in the past I've had hives when okay. I've been stressed out. So that's a psychosomatic response, right? Yeah, or, um, you know, two big ones are peptic ulcers or irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, mm-hmm. These were once thought to, uh, IBS and peptic ulcers were both thought to once be entirely psychosomatic. Mm-hmm. And we know it isn't the case now, but there's mm-hmm. definitely a, you know, psychosomatic element to their manifestation. Okay. Um, another key area to look at is, uh, you know, the, the nocebo effect, the, the, the yeah. dark side of the placebo effect. Because in the strictest sense, uh, a nocebo, a nocebo response is when a drug trial subject's symptoms are worsened by the administration of an inert uh, sham or dummy drug. So, yeah, nocebo is one of those uh, fascinating things that keeps coming up over and over again here at How Stuff Works. Mm-hmm. It, it, that specific example has been um, just used in a lot of our podcasts and videos, and, and I believe that we have a Nocebo article, I think, yeah. as well. But and the new Nocebo podcast launching. Yeah, yeah the, the Nocebo stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah, basically what's happening is you're you're taking just this you know, sugar pill. Yeah. But you believe that it could hurt you. You've read these, uh, you've, you've read the possible side effects, right? And so when you take it, negative physical manifestations occur because mm-hmm. you believe that they will. Like, right, yeah. like the, the link between the, the mind and body in that regard is, uh, uh, you know, is established. It just it gets into questions of to what extent that, uh, yeah, that connection I, goes. I don't think that that's something we fully understand yet. You know, yeah. we're sitting here talking about how our modern medicine is so much better than the Middle Ages, but I think that there's a point to be made that our understanding of psychosomatic responses is still probably in it, in its infancy. Yeah, uh, you end up looking at uh, at other areas too, such as of, psycho- of psychogenic uh, illness, such as uh, conveyed syndrome or uh, sympathetic pregnancy. It's not a recognized medical condition, and it's debated. Uh, but some believe it's a true psychosomatic condition that you you 
you, you see this person in your life swelling with pregnancy, and you begin to swell as well to take really? on. Really? Yeah. Huh. To take on, uh, you know, you're not actually, there's nothing growing For inside. For a moment you. there, I thought you were going to say, like, sympathetic pregnancy was, like, somebody said that they they immaculately conceived because of, you know, like, their friend was also pregnant. No, this is like, uh, you know, the wife is pregnant and the husband Got it. starts getting a big swollen Now belly, that you know? I could see, mm-hmm. uh, or probably more likely just because of dietary changes around the house based yeah. on... Or certainly high levels of stress and concern. That and, helps too, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, one of the things that I found in the readings that was interesting about the Middle Ages and the stigmatics connecting to the psychosomatic explanation was that there was a movement that was referred to as the imitatio of Christi. Mm-hmm. That was a terrible Italian I like, pronunciation, I like it. but I, good to me. I think that's how you say it. But the idea here was that the individuals at the time, like St. Francis himself, were striving so much to live their lives like Jesus Christ that they actually began to manifest the stigmatic wounds. Uh, or getting back to the the self-harm, they would mutilate themselves. Mm-hmm. So there were examples of monks that practiced stigmata as penance for their sins. Um, so they would, you know, do it manually. I, I don't know, maybe they even helped one another. That That's the thing, too. Like, we've, we've been talking about how, like, you know, people self-crucifying. That sounds incredibly difficult to yeah, me. Yeah, you got to have help on that second I would uh, hand, think I think. somebody's got to help you uh, get up there, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. Jeez. Yeah, I think I, the, the the footage I've seen of the um, festivities in the Philippines, uh, it's it's a group effort, you know. It's, uh, so yeah, so there's a community behind it, which yeah. probably helps. So the imitatio Christi was sort of a form of mimesis, right? The idea was that they were identifying so much with someone else, in this case, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that they wanted to take on all of their traits, not just the traits of their personality, but also their physical traits. Yeah. Hmm. Here's an example that comes to mind here. This is probably a horrible example. Okay. We'll remove and edits, but uh, are you familiar with uh, you're familiar with Lemmy from Motorhead, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and you're familiar enough with wrestling to know uh, Triple H. Uh, yeah, Triple H was the one who was in Blade Three, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he's he's like a big honcho with WWE now and a, a talented performer. Okay. Right. But he's also a big Motorhead fan. Is that right? Yeah, huge okay. Motorhead fan. Like he's he's brought in Motorhead to do like his his entrance music, like three different versions of his oh entrance, yeah entrance okay. Music. And uh, for a period of time, he like he grew out. He had the long hair. Triple H did. And oh then he yeah. Grew out like Lemmy facial hair. Oh. So so he had the big like lamb chops and the. The uh, Lemmy. <laughs> he had everything. He did not manifest the mole, or is it two moles? That Lemmy had? I, he has at least one really big okay. mole. But yeah, so Triple H was not able to uh, use mimesis to, to psychosomatically <laughs> uh, generate a mole. Not quite, but he, I think he was working on it, like a little longer, and he could have manifested <laughs> the mole. Um, That's fascinating. I have a friend who has a term which I like to use for describing Lemmy, which is that he has a face like a bucket full of elbows. <laughs> now, just to clarify, we're not making a direct comparison between Lemmy and Christ, but, uh, you know, an individual that you're devoted to, an idea that you're devoted to, yeah. To at, at what point does that devotion begin to uh, have its own kind of placebo or nocebo effect on your body? Yeah, that's interesting, like Elvis uh, impersonators of today. Oh, that would be a good one, an, yeah. uh, an Elvis stigmata. Yeah, yeah. The combination of, if they had like a mimesis connected to to both Jesus and Elvis or something, <laughs> something it, 
But I'm trying to think of other like modern day manifestations of this. You know, obviously there's nothing so uh, preternatural as you know wounds forming. Mm-hmm. But there are many uh, forms of identification connected to other figures, you know, oh, especially yeah. figures in popular culture. Well, I mean, nowadays, of course, if you're particularly devoted to an individual, you can just have them tattooed on your body. Uh, oh, yeah. Think, such as yeah. Jesus himself is, uh, appears on Good many point. A, a, a back, yeah. an arm. I wonder um, if there's a – surely there must be somebody out there. We'll have to uh, Google image search this after the recording. Surely there must be somebody out there who's had stigmatic wounds tattooed on their body. Well, I have, I have one of them, actually. I, oh, is that right? I, yeah, I, have, I actually have the spear wound. I've never seen you with your my... shirt off. Well, that's the thing, yeah. I tend to I tend to wear a shirt at work. And, like uh, St. Francis, yeah. you cover up. You're humble about your, yeah. your uh, holy wounds. Yeah. But no, I really do. I'm not just making a joke. I have the spear wound on my side. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I thought you were kidding. No, no, it's real. There, I have there. It's not like a purely. Uh, there are a number of layers to it. Like I, uh-huh. I only have one tattoo, and I put a lot of thought into what I would get and what it would symbolize. And so there are varying levels of uh, of, 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 of symbolism at play. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, now our listeners are probably out there. They're very interested in your tattoo. I yeah, wonder if it'll maybe make an appearance on. They'll a... catch me at the Y or something. <laughs> Now, another uh, example of psychogenic uh, illness I want to mention real quick is conversion disorder. Um, and this is, uh, in this, we see patients uh, suffering from neurological symptoms such as numbness, blindness, uh, paralysis, or fits uh, without any kind of definable organic cause. And it's thought that these symptoms are, are, arise in response to stressful situations uh, affecting a patient's mental health. Um, and uh, this is a, it's considered a uh, psychiatric disorder in uh, actually the um, the DSM DSM five. So, so it's recognized yeah. by the um, you know the discipline of psychology. Yeah. So like enough mental stress and anguish, or you know potentially uh, devotion, mm-hmm. could uh, could blind you. You know. Wow. So. You know, factoring that into our attempt to understand stigmata, mm-hmm. uh, it begins to seem ever more possible that you could manifest these wounds uh, psychosomatically. Well, okay, so I have a personal story here. I'll try to be brief with it, but that it, it maybe helps me to understand this. So when I was hmm, 13 years old, mm-hmm. I uh, went to a Southern Baptist private school, okay. and uh, we had a lot of... Uh, church study, a lot of reading of the Bible. Uh, there was also a lot of talk about demon possession, which I believe we referenced in the episode where we talked about satanic panic. Mm-hmm. There was an incident when I went skiing with my family uh, and I got snow blindness. I didn't know yes. what this was then. I think I might have told you, you this. I can't remember if you mentioned on the podcast, but you definitely told me about it. Yeah. And uh, so what happens is, you know, sunlight reflects off the snow. It, it, your, your eyes literally get sunburned and you temporarily go blind. And I didn't know what was going on, so I, I went to sleep that night, and when I woke up, I was blind, and I, I was so scared, and I had in my head all of the the the, the fear from the, the Southern Baptist school that I was in that I thought that God had stricken me blind. So, you know, it, my sight returned by that afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, th- thinking back on all of this psychosomatic talk, I, I was just a 13-year-old kid, and I was only in that school for like a year. Can you imagine if your entire life was devoted to the church in such a way? I can imagine that it would be 
easy for for some of these things to occur or for other things to cause them and to think that they were manifested by God. Yeah, I mean, when you start start considering the the power that our worldviews and the symbols that we we have in our life, the, the power that they have over us, yeah, and then start thinking about these various psychosomatic effects, it, uh, yeah, it, I, I moved closer and closer to to buying purely psychosomatic uh, stigmata. But then, of yeah. course, I then I then I also begin to feel like I'm maybe getting a little too fringy, and then I pull back and just start. Thinking about self mutilation again. Maybe, uh, well, I'm sure in all there, th- there's all different types of cases. But like I said in the first uh, episode of this podcast, I don't necessarily believe in stigmata, but I believe that these people believe in their stigmata. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do. To them, the, the, it's the vast real. majority of them uh, believe it is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, with you know a few charlatans in the bunch, but right. But even then, it's often I think you know, when you really look close at at cases where someone's faking something, faking something big in their life, it becomes complicated when you try and take it apart and say, oh, well, you're just putting on a show. Yeah, absolutely. Like in the case of Padre Pio that we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier, it, if, it, if it was indeed something that he was doing uh, to deceive people, then that speaks to an even larger psychological problem. You yeah. Know? Um, on a scale that's probably... You know, commensurate with with the that of going into a transcendent state and 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 hurting yourself. All right, so there you have it, stigmata. Hopefully, we have uh, given a nice overview of what it is uh, from a you know from a religious standpoint, from an, uh, an historical standpoint, and looked at some of the various ways you can uh, consider it uh, from a medical point of view, mythical. Uh, even a, a little sci-fi thrown in there as well. Yeah, and and like we said, you know, we're not experts in any of these particular things. I'm not a theologian. I'm certainly not a doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm not a psychologist. So I would love to hear from those of you out there that maybe have experience with these or have ideas of your own about stigmata. You can always get in touch with us through our Facebook uh, page, Twitter, Tumblr, and then we are also available at blow the mind at howstuffworks.com. Send us an email there and let us know what you think. Yeah, indeed. And hey, we want to hear about the uses of stigmata in fiction as well. If you have a yeah. favorite fictional stigmata, you know, horror movie, sci-fi, what have we you. We only touched on those two, the the movie and then that X-Files episode. I'm sure there's got to be dozens. Oh, yeah. Like there is, God, there's one movie from the 70s called God Told Me To. Uh-huh. I've Who never heard of that. No. Larry Cohen film. Um, who did like Cue the Winged Serpent and huh. uh, It Lives, I think. Okay. And it's a it's a subtly fabulous piece that involves like a murder investigation in New York and Andy Kaufman has a small cameo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it centers around this um, angelic, Christ-like, hermaphroditic alien being that has wow. uh, uh, been born into 1970s New York City and is, like, mind-controlling people. Well, I definitely want to see this now. So this is why I'd like you all to write in. <laughs> this sounds like a great movie recommendation. Yeah, there has to be some more stigmata-ploitation cinema out there <laughs> for yeah. us to consider. Yeah, exactly. All right, so, yeah, again, head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. Check out uh, all the offerings there. And uh, what's that email address again? BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 